0: This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfindley.org. When I was a a kid, we spent a lot of weekends traveling to Cincinnati and back. Now, I lived in Chillicothe, which is a little less than an hour from Columbus, and uh, about an hour and a half east from Cincinnati. Occasionally, we would go to Columbus, you know, hit the mall, and do something there. But when we needed to go somewhere, get away, spend a little time, we we happened to go to Cincinnati more often than not. There were there were several draws there, several reasons why my parents preferred Cincinnati. One of those I found was Skyline Chili, and as a kid, I could not figure out why we would drive to eat Skyline. It's horrible. Ugh. I would you know, get, get the plain hot dog or whatever else I could find that didn't have chili in it. I, I missed out significantly. As I, as I grew up and got older, I realized what I had been missing all those years. And I, I know there are people who, who feel differently about it. There's two very, two very strong camps in regard to Skyline Chili. What I discovered in college was that if you dislike Skyline, all you need to do is eat it three times in one week, and it will develop in you a need, hunger, a dependence. It's almost addicting. But if you, can, if you can handle eating it three times in one week, you will then love it. We went to La Rosa's Pizza. We would visit with family. We would meet up with my, uh, my uncle, my aunt, and their families there in Cincinnati, just spend time together shopping, shopping, seeing the sights. We would go for the uh, Labor Day fireworks they do down along the river. Just awesome. Just just a lot of fun. And uh, occasionally, we would drive up the hill and walk around the grounds of Cincinnati Bible College. And uh, my dad would tell stories about the uh, building that used to be there in the middle of campus that had been torn down. You could see where it once once stood. Uh, My parents would talk about stories about what happened to them while they were going to school there. They met at Cincinnati Bible College years and years ago. And I discovered that there there is a connection between the school and my family, aunts and uncles. I mean, there's been a, a lot of us that that went to Cincinnati Bible College, and I saw this connection, this influence, this this example in my life. And when it came time for me to choose for myself a, a school to attend, a career to pursue, I I recognized this foundation that had been laid for me. Uh, family members who were in full-time ministry or still are in full-time ministry, missionaries, uh, those who attended Cincinnati Bible College. And, and, and that foundation helped me make my decisions about what I would do and where I would go. And I, I felt this pull t- toward Cincinnati Christian University is what it was called when I was uh, getting ready for college, just this desire to, to be a part of that legacy, to be a part of that, that tradition even, uh, just to, to follow in that example and to make my decisions based on that foundation. Today, as we continue our sermon series, that's that's exactly what we're going to talk about. That that legacy of faith, and we've been talking a lot about how families matter. Looking at examples from Scripture, learning from the imperfect picture that we get uh, of the reality of the families from the pages of the Bible. Uh, today, we'll have a few biblical examples, but what we're going to talk about is this this passing on of faith, this legacy, this example that's present in every family to some degree or another. This this incredible opportunity to influence. And most of the time we think about our our example, our influence with family as something that's linear, that we very specifically think about what what we're providing for our children, that it passes straight down the family tree. Our example has the largest impact here. But let's, let's be truthful about our example of faith. That example radiates out of our lives. People all around us experience that example. They, they see it in us. They learn from it. They watch. Not just our children. But in terms of family, we have siblings, even as adults, that are, that are watching. We have parents who are looking at our lives and are impacted by our faith. We have cousins, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, even grandparents, who are, who are impacted by our example of faith. And beyond our families, we have neighbors, co-workers, Friends that all see our relationship with the Lord and are impacted by the example that we have. Today, uh, we're going to focus primarily on the influence that we have within the family. But we recognize that each and every one of us has a responsibility to that example of faith that we provide to, to lay this foundation. And so we're, we're going to begin with this simple principle. I want to I state clearly to you. Your example of faith will provide the foundation that your family will use to make their own decisions about their own faith. Your example is a critical piece of that foundation. Now what you teach them about the Bible also very important. The way that you encourage them. Yes. The way that you set boundaries and help them understand God's will for their lives and 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 reinforce those boundaries so they have difficulty deviating from that path. Yes, all those things are are, are crucial. They're critical. But none of those things will matter if you aren't living a genuine, consistent example of faith in your own life. That has to be present if all of those other things are going to make a difference. It is the foundation that you provide for your family. And their faith will be dependent upon the kind of example that you lay. Now, as we look in Scripture, to our first example, we're going to, to talk a little bit about Timothy. The, the protege of Paul, the young man who traveled with him, who learned from Paul, who was mentored by Paul, that, that Paul left in charge of churches to deal with their leaders, to be a leader himself, uh, to help correct problems, to help uh, guide the church as it, as it was learning to worship God in an appropriate way. And Paul wrote to Timothy, two letters specifically, and, and there are other comments in other places, uh, but, but we find most of the information that Paul gave to Timothy in First in and Second Timothy, the letters that he wrote, encouraging Timothy and directing him in his ministry. And I want to read a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1 right now that talks specifically about this example and how it produced results in Timothy's life. If you have a Bible and you want to open with me, we're going to begin in verse 3 of chapter 1. If you want to use the YouVersion app, just uh, open that up and search under events for Parkview-Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes there as well. The words will also be on the screen. Let's read together. Here's what Paul said. I thank God whom I served, whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. Now, here is a clear example of the, the passing on of faith that takes place within family, the, the example that Timothy had in his mother and in his grandmother who had such a strong influence on his life. Now, Timothy's father, we learn uh, through other sources, was Greek. Uh, but this, this legacy of faith was passed down from grandmother, mother, to Timothy as he learned about God and his word, as he learned what it was to live his life devoted to God, serving God. They had a very specific influence on his life. And Paul also had an opportunity to influence Timothy, to invest in him, to, to be an example to him. And not only was this example passed from family, but also from a strong mentor in his life producing this, this result. And Paul said very specifically that, that God was so strong in his life that he was able to serve, just as his ancestors did, this legacy in Paul's life with a clear conscience, providing an example with no regrets, and remembering Timothy constantly in prayer. Paul had seen this legacy of faith, this example that was produced in Timothy's life as his own faith, his own service to God, this, this gift for ministry and service and leadership. And he was proud of what Timothy was doing. And notice that he said, God doesn't give us his spirit to make us timid. Because us power, love, and self-discipline. Those are the defining points of a sincere example of faith. It's a powerful, disciplined example. Now, just as we recognize that our example will provide a foundation of faith, we need to notice that there's two sides of this. First, a sincere example of faith provides a strong foundation. And when we're willing to be that strong example, that sincere example, we provide a strong foundation. But the opposite is true. If we provide an insincere, a weak example, the foundation that we lay for our family to then make their own decisions will be weak as well. We need to be careful about the kind of example that we provide. Living our lives... According to the Word of God, following after the example that Christ provided for us, devoting ourselves to His will and to His way. And that's something that Paul uh, we read in his words to the, the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. He said these words, "Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ." And that, that's the mindset that we want to have as we think about what it is to be an example, to influence family, to help them come to their own decisions about the Lord. Now, we're not talking about manipulation, of, of working every angle to, to put them in a place where they could only accept the Lord. The idea is that we would be so genuinely dedicated to the Lord, that we would be so, so diligent in our own lives and following after the example of Christ, that our example would provide for our children, for our extended family, for all the people who, who see our example. Provide this foundation for them to want to make their own decision, to know that, that our relationship with the Lord has made such a difference in our lives that they would desire to have that too. And so we, we begin thinking about how that example is displayed. What are the things that we do that that help our family see how meaningful this relationship with the Lord is to us? Well, first, I think that the the example that we have begins with our, our commitment to the church, the community that we have here, the family here at Parkview, and it's important for us to demonstrate to our families how important it is for us to worship together, to fellowship, to, to partake in the Lord's Supper together. And also recognize that our attitude when we come together and worship will be reflected in the lives of our family. And very specifically, when we think about children, that our attitude will not only be reflected, it'll be amplified in their lives. Have you ever noticed how that works? When you have an emotional response, your, your, your kids, your family hear your response and, and they interpret it in their own way. And very often they will respond more aggressively than you do in, in terms of coming to church. If you are eager to get to church, you're interested in what's going to happen, you'll notice that your kids will see that in you and they'll begin being, building excitement about being at church together, thinking about what they're going to hear, how they're going to worship and how they're going to interact with, with their Christian friends. If you are reluctant to get out of bed and get moving on a Sunday morning, as, as is the case some days, if if you have frustrations that you vocalize in front of your kids, you'll notice that your, your children will take those and they'll begin to be resistant to coming to church. You'll have to fight those battles in the mornings of getting them ready and getting them here on time. You'll hear from them gripes about the church, about things that are happening to them. And to be really honest, if we look carefully at the example we provided, we'll notice very often in those cases that they've learned and then amplified what they've seen in us. Our perspective about the church is a crucial part of our example to our families. Not only is our, our participation in fellowship here important, but our relationship with Jesus is also very important, our, our personal connection with the Lord. And what our families see in us is our devotional life how much time we're spending in the Word, whether or not we're praying regularly. Uh, Our families notice that about us, whether we think they notice it or not. They they know whether we've been faithful. They know whether we're committed to developing our relationship with God, spending quality time with Him. And they see when that is present. They also see when it's lacking. And one of the, the most important things we can do is to help our families and our children develop a relationship with Jesus for themselves. And that puts us in a difficult spot because that invites us to make something that is usually a private practice public practice. Now, typically, when we think about devotional time with God, we think about personal devotional time, about going into a bedroom or an office or a, a quiet room and removing all distractions so that we can spend time with the Lord. But if we're going to demonstrate the value of this devotional time with our families, we're going to have to choose instead to sit at the dining room table or on the living room couch where other people have access to us so that they can see what we're doing. If we want to be this example, this meaningful example, we're going to have to choose to take what was once private and make it a little bit more public. And along with that, we're going to have to endure the constant distractions and questions that come from trying to focus on something with other people around. And it's a difficult thing, but it's important in the lives of our families that they see how this works. And and sometimes that means even being willing to invite them to see what you're doing, of, of showing them the, the handwritten notes in your Bible, of the resources that you use for your you, to guide your devotional thoughts, uh, inviting them to pray with you, and, and leading them through a time of devotions together so that they begin to understand how that works, so they begin to practice that on their own. It can be a very meaningful time as they learn to develop a relationship with God as they discover how much you depend on God's strength as they begin to see in your life how your prayer life brings about peace that sustains you now this relationship with Jesus that becomes your example is not about what you do on Sundays it's not about just what you do in your personal devotional time it's about demonstrating to your family that this relationship with Jesus impacts all of who you are that, that it it permeates every aspect of your life. And so as you continue that example, there are other spiritual disciplines that you need to incorporate. We talked about Bible study and prayer, but we also need to think in terms of uh, of fasting, of tithing, of serving God, and how you can involve your family in those processes. As you come together to worship, you'll find that there are opportunities for you to serve. And it's important that your kids see you serving, that they, they see you saying, I need to sacrifice a little of my time and energy to give to to the Lord and give to his kingdom and even to his church. But even more important is the example when you say, why don't you come and serve with me? And they get to stand next to you and work next to you and see the joy and contentment that's produced in your life through service. It's such a valuable example. Think about about how important it is to demonstrate to family uh, the process of tithing, uh, of honoring God above resources that he's blessed us with, of saying to God, through your actions. I trust you. I trust you enough to give away what's precious to me and to give it back to you, knowing that you're going to sustain me and provide for me. And think about how, how important it is to demonstrate tithing to your family. And, and, and in today's world, as, things, as technology has developed, this is gonna be a little bit more difficult because it's not like when I was a kid, when my dad would hand me the change in his pocket and I get to throw it in the offering plate for him, now you have to open up your computer sometimes and show them, okay, here's how online giving works. Here's how I set up my, my account so that I know automatically the, the first amount of money, that 10% is coming out of my pay before anything else and going to the church. And I can check on it, check my accounts online and make sure all those things are in order. And this is how I set up my finances. Now that's that's a, a complicated process, but it's important to to let your kids and your family in on that, that part of your financial life that is typically private and even more so is something that isn't physically seen because you're doing it online. Now if you give physically, it's easier to engage your family in that process of allowing them to put the money in for you of demonstrating to them opening up your budget and showing how how critical it is for each of us to think about setting aside our funds very specifically for for the tithe, for savings, for spendable money and living below our means so that money is a resource that we use and it doesn't become something that dominates our lives, that we can, we can be good stewards of what God has blessed us with and, and see finances as a blessing, not only for us, but for other people around us and for the kingdom. That brings us to another interesting point of example in our faith is when it's time for us to demonstrate generosity and care for those in need. When our boys were toddlers uh, my wife and I came to this this difficult point in parenting. Now, we, we typically try and have a good rationale for why we do the things that we do as parents. I'll be honest, there's not a great explanation for some of the things I do. I just get, you know, at the spur of the moment, think, oh, this will be fun. Yeah. Uh, but but providing for people and caring for those in need is something we, we found a reason to talk about. Now, when when they were toddlers, we were walking through a mall and we had a little wagon, we were pulling them behind us. And as we were walking a man approached us as a family, and he talked directly to me, and he said, hey, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind helping me out. Now, automatically, I get defensive. I'm dad mode. My kids are here. My wife is here, and so I kind of like motion for them to go on ahead of me so that I can talk to this person alone, interact with him, and uh, potentially help him out a little bit, but I was, I was fearful. I was, I was careful about their safety, and I wanted them to be out of the way and not hear what this man might have to say or be exposed to what he might do if there was going to be anything else that might happen in this interaction. And afterwards, we started talking about these opportunities that, that come up in life, about seeing people in need and wanting, wanting being motivated by the Holy Spirit to, to reach out and care for them, and how important it would be for, for us as parents, for me particularly as dad, to demonstrate to the boys how that works. And so then again, it's a a conscious decision to make public something that typically would be private and to either bring one or both boys along with me while I'm be answering one of those opportunities or to allow them to be in a place where they can see what's happening. And there have been times where they've been with me. There are other times where I come home and you know, from the grocery store and somebody's asked for some help that I'll say, hey, listen to what happened to me today. I had a person come up and ask if, if, if I would help them buy some groceries to help feed their family. And here's the decision that I made, and here's why I made that decision. And just walk them through the rationale of, of being compassionate, but also not being taken advantage of, and, and discerning those situations and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a critical part of that example as we demonstrate to family the, the spiritual disciplines involved in following faithfully after the Lord and being obedient to His leading and to His guidance. The last piece of example I want to talk about this morning is integrity. Is the consistency of, of character and faith that, that should be our example to family. That they would see our, our faith expressed at church on a Sunday morning. That they would see how we practice spiritual disciplines. But they would also see how we interact with friends of ours when we're outside of church. They would also see our personality when we're at work. They would also see... Uh, the, that when we're home with just family or alone by ourselves, that there there is a consistency to our, our words, a consistency to our behavior, to our actions that remains in every one of those situations. That we don't become a different person just because the situation around us has changed. That we don't let go of some of our moral boundaries simply because there's other people around that we want to impress or gain favor with. And when we're able to demonstrate the consistency of integrity it intensifies our example and creates an even more solid foundation for our family to then evaluate their own faith the opposite is is also true when our lives are inconsistent when we behave differently at church than we do at work or at home our families are the first to know Uh, especially kids who are watching very carefully and very critically who we are and the way we behave and when Our lives are inconsistent. Instead of providing a strong example and foundation, what we provide is an example of hypocrisy. And that is more detrimental to the faith of our children than anything else could be, as they see that we don't truly mean what we say we believe, and that we don't allow our relationship with the Lord to impact any other part of our lives. It is crucial to our example that we remain consistent with integrity, in every situation that we face. Now, I want to point your attention to the next example that we have in Scripture, and we're going to move from Old Testament to, from New Testament to Old Testament, excuse me, and look at the life of Eli, a priest serving in the temple of God. Now, we don't Learn a lot about Eli before we find his story in Scripture. He's a a part of the tribe of Levi, and so he is a priest who serves the Lord, who who helps take care of the sacrifices and worship of the people of Israel as they come before the Lord. And Eli is a faithful servant of God. He has given his time, he has given his life to this as his occupation. And Eli is the priest that then trained Samuel, the prophet, who as a boy, uh, his mother handed him over to Eli to raise up in service to the Lord. And Samuel became a prophet who would carry God's message to kings, who would carry God's message to the people of Israel, who had this incredible impact. And he was brought up and trained by Eli the priest. Now, Eli's example was significant in Samuel's life, but Eli had sons of his own, sons who watched their father, who learned from their father, sons who became priests just like their father, But the story for the the sons of Eli, Phinehas and Hophni, is very different than the story of Samuel, who grew up being mentored by Eli. And we're going to look to 1 Samuel chapter 2 for a description of Phinehas and Hophni. And here's what Scripture tells us. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, this is Old Testament language. And I have to say, I think this is pretty severe. In the terms of the Hebrew language, to call someone a scoundrel. Now, I don't, talk, I don't typically call people scoundrels, so it, it, it's hard for me to gauge just just how bad this is. But if if we look at the the original language and see other words that have been used in translation, what what the writer here is saying is that Eli's sons were worthless, useless, wicked people. And what we find in the description of why they were scoundrels is that their lives caused more harm than good in the way that they served as priests, they were selfish, entitled, demanding to meet their desires, breaking God's law to fulfill what they wanted. Now, there are a couple of examples we find in Scripture. The first is the way that they ate from the sacrifices that were offered to God. Now, God provided a very strict set of rules for the priests who handled the sacrifices, and they and their families were allowed to live off the, uh, the grain and the meat from the animals that were sacrificed to the Lord. But there were strict rules in how that was to be done. When someone would come and sacrifice an animal, the meat would then be placed in a pot and boiled down for this, that was able to be used by the priest. And after the, the fat was, was cooked away from the meat, and it became tender and started to fall apart, you know, like a, a roast when you're putting it into a stew, cooking it in a pot, and it starts to, the juices start to roll off and you can just shred it with a fork. That's, that's, that's when it was acceptable for the priests to then take their allotment. And they would do that by putting a fork into the pot and lifting the fork up. And whatever meat was attached to the fork, that was what would sustain them and their families. And they were limited to that only after it had already been boiled down. Now, Phineas and Hophni decided, well, that's not good enough. Boiled meat? Ugh. Who wants to eat boiled meat day after day after day? Think about what we could do if we were to grill this meat over an open fire, put a little spice on it. Think about all the variety we could add to our diet. Not only that, but think about if we, if we get the meat before it's cooked, how much more meat we'll be able to have. And so they sent a servant in that when someone sacrificed an animal, they would then plunge a fork into the pot while the meat was still raw. And it held together. It didn't fall apart. And they grabbed this huge hunk of meat that they could then cook any way they wanted to. And the people who sacrificed said, wait a minute. That's not what God's law says. We're not, well, you're not supposed to take that meat while it's raw. This is my offering to God. You, you need to wait until it's cooked down. And, and Phineas and Hophie said to their servant, no. If they're not willing to give it to you, then you take it by force. And they, as Scripture says, held the sacrifice of the Lord in contempt. They had contempt for what was being offered to God, and contempt for God himself by refusing to obey and taking what they saw was rightfully theirs. The story continues, as they served the temple, they noticed that there were people of Israel who had various jobs around the temple. And in particular, Phineas and Hophni noticed the women who were outside the temple gates, and they started to seduce those women from the people of Israel and sleep with them. Men who were supposed to be serving and overseeing the sacrifices to God were abusing the people, taking advantage of those women. Now, the word got back to Eli about what his sons were doing. He confronted them. And try to convince them to change their ways. He talked to them about, you know, if you you were sinning against man, it would be bad, it would be wrong, and God would judge you. Uh, But if you were repentant, he would have mercy. You you would see grace from God. You're sinning against God himself. You are stealing from the sacrifice. You are are destroying people who have come to worship him. And, And you're sinning against God himself, who will not have mercy on you for sinning against him. The... His sons refused to listen. A uh, man of God came with a message for Samuel or for Eli and said, uh, Because of the wickedness of your sons, they're no longer going to uh, partake in the promise that was given to your family that your, your, your line would, would serve in the temple. Uh, because of their wickedness, they will be removed from that. Actually, they're both going to die on the same day, and the rest of your family will, will beg for positions of service for the Lord rather than being honored in the way that you have in your faithful service. Short time after that, uh, the Philistines attacked Israel, and the Israelites went out to face them in battle. And the Philistines spread out, and conquered Israel, killing four thousand of them. the The survivors came back uh, to where the rest of the nation was encamped, and said, so "We've got to do something. We need to call up the army, and uh, we need to take the Ark of God that was in within the camp of Israel out with us, so that God will go with us, so that He will give us victory." And so they marched out with a, a huge force taking the ark of God, and the priest from the temple, Phinehas and Hophni, accompanied the ark. The Philistines saw them coming with the ark, and the Philistines, this foreign nation, recognized what it was. The God is with them. They have this article of God, the same God who, with miracles, drew these people out of Egypt. We have to stand together and destroy them, otherwise we're going to be subjected to them in the same way we have made them slaves, in the same way we've subjected them. Stand together, let's fight. And the Philistines came at them in such force, they killed 30,000 Israelites. They took the Ark of the Covenant captive with them and killed the priests who were there. One man, a Benjamin escaped and brought back news to Eli, who was sitting by the road, worried about the Ark, worried about his sons. And as this messenger came back with news, the Ark has been taken, your sons have both been killed. Eli fell backward in his chair and broke his neck. It's the last thing we read about him, this devastating news, the impact of his sons and the example they would leave. Now this story stands as a reminder to us that an example of faith in our lives doesn't guarantee results in our family. And as much as we love the Lord and want our kids to make those decisions and our family around us to make wise decisions about their own faith, we can't force those things to happen. We can't control them. And at some point, we have to trust their decisions to the Lord. And the way that we do that is to continually pray. To pray continually for those who will be impacted by your example. Pray for those in your family that you truly want to see make decisions for the Lord. But we do that with the understanding that we can't make those decisions for them. We can't can't control them and manipulate them. We have to give them room to make faith their own. And there comes a point in each of our lives where we recognize the truth of that. Even though our parents brought us to church, we're not saved because of the faith of our parents, even though our grandparents pray for us all the time. We don't have a personal relationship with God just because they're faithful people. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We find salvation in Him when we make a decision, when we accept Him as Lord and Savior and are baptized in His name. It has to be the result of our own decision, however. A personal choice. A choice that involves our own commitment to Him. Obedient. Spending time growing to know Him more. That's what makes a legacy of faith so important. That's what makes it so important for us to lay this strong foundation in the lives of our families. That they will have a great opportunity to make their own decisions about the Lord. That we would pray continually as we provide this example. And this is what Paul uh, reminds us of through his scripture as he talked to, about Timothy. I pray for you continually. And again, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, he said these words about them. Uh, he, he described their faith and, and how they were growing and living according to that faith. And in verse 9, he said this, For that reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Yeah. How how accurately does that describe your heart when you think about living an example of faith, of providing this legacy of faith for your family, that you would be able to see them living according to the will of God, that their lives would be worthy of the Lord and be pleasing to Him in every way? That's our hope, isn't it? That's our desire, that we would provide an example that, that then influences our family to live a life of love, to live in relationship with Jesus, through each and everything that they do, pleasing him in every way. That's what makes this idea of a legacy of faith so significant. So in summary, these are the things that I just want to leave you with. One, the legacy of faith must come from an authentic example, a demonstration of what faith looks like from your life to theirs. It has to be actively passed on. It has to be a decision that you make to willingly invite other people in, to see what you do, to see how the Lord has has made a difference in your life to see how your practice of faith draws you closer to the Lord. It's not something that you can sit back and hope other people pick up, hope that you've made a, a, a good impact, but something you have to very purposely decide to do. It's something that takes years of consistent practice, demonstrating not only that it is meaningful, that it affects every part of your life, but that it provides for you the, the means of integrity to live the same in every situation. And you will find that it takes years to demonstrate that to the people who are watching you. It takes years to develop trust and to prove to them that you're going to keep your word. It's also the greatest inheritance that you can provide, greater than a home where everybody gets along, greater than the money that you will leave behind. A legacy of faith is the most important inheritance that you can provide to your family and to your children. And it's a critical part of your relationship with the Lord. One, that you would accept Him as Lord and Savior. And two, that you would live in such a genuine way that your love for God would be known in the world around you. That people would look at your life and look at your example and, and see how dramatically the Lord has changed you. See how how much you you depend on him to get through each and every day. And as they see that, would say, I, I know that I need what you have. I know that I need to live in relation with the Lord the way that you live in relationship with the Lord. That's the example we're talking about. And that's the challenge that we face this morning. And I want to challenge you to think about how you can live your life in such a way that you would make an impact in the world around you, that you would draw people closer to the Lord, that you would help them understand their need for him that begins with a personal decision to accept christ i'm going to challenge you if you've never accepted him that you would believe in him have faith that he can forgive your sins repent of those sins and be baptized in his name that you would step forward in relationship with him and then begin living this dynamic life that provides an example to the world around you And if you've been a christian for a while i want to i want to challenge you to think about those people who who are closest to you who see your example, who are affected by the, that radiating quality of your example, that that you would begin to specifically, purposely live to help them see their need for the Lord. I want to take just a minute to pray for you, and then at the close of that prayer, I want to invite you to come forward. If you have a decision to make, if there's anything that you need prayer for, that you would come forward as we would stand and sing. Let's pray right now. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message that you bring. and Thank you for the example that you have provided in each of our lives. I ask right now that you would challenge us to see how our lives can be an example as well, that you would help us to live in faithful obedience, that we would, with a clear conscience, strive to live a life worthy of you that's pleasing in every way, and that we would use that life to make an impact to the world around us. We thank you for those opportunities. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.